Uh, okay, uh, lots of you in this room, I suspect, have uh, heard the name William Tyndale. Uh, William Tyndale um, was the 16th century scholar, and he's really the, one of the main reasons why we have this, why we have this. Here's a picture of him, I hope, on the screen. No, maybe not. Uh, uh, one of the reasons, uh, one of the primary reasons we have this, the Bible in English. Uh, he was the, the scholar who first took the, the Greek and the Hebrew texts uh, and translated them into English. Uh, and really, his versions become the version that all the other English translations are based on um, that we've got. But one name that you probably haven't heard of, and that's a guy called Humphrey Monmouth. Humphrey Monmouth. Anyone heard of Humphrey Monmouth? No. Well, it turns out that William Tyndale could not have done what he did without Humphrey. Because standing behind uh, William was this wealthy Christian businessman who came to understand what William was trying to do uh, and funded him for the whole project. He paid him uh, an income, gave him uh, board and lodging for, for however long it took him to do his translation work. Uh, and then Humphrey introduced him to a whole, maybe not so secret, but certainly a society of uh, Christian businessmen in London who were uh, also like-minded. Uh, and by making these introductions, these Christian businessmen also partnered with William uh, for the printing and the distribution of his new Bible. Um, and so really what you have with Humphrey is someone who partnered with uh, William Tyndale. There he is, I think on the screen. There, partnered with William, but by giving and through his giving, it made a massive, massive impact uh, in this country uh, and in this world, uh, an impact that will last for all eternity. Uh, many of us feel a sense of purposelessness in our lives, that our lives are just small and insular and small. Uh, and really then the challenge, the offer that I have for you this morning is, would you like your life to make a difference? Would you like your life to make a difference? Be part of something bigger than you. Be part of something that will have an effect for eternity. Well, what is on offer is that you can be part of God's work through this habit, through this practice of giving generously, giving generously. Now, you may think, well, hold on a minute, that's fine for uh, Humphrey uh, because he was wealthy. I'm not wealthy. Well, can I just remind you this morning that if you have more than two pairs of shoes, Right? Anyone here got two pairs of shoes? Two pairs of footwear of any description? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, if you have a smartphone, if you have a car, if you in your house have two taps with clean running water, if you add up all those things, you, shoes, smartphone, car, water, you are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. That's, that's who we are. We are all on the rich list, right? So there's no excuse for any of us. We're all wealthy. Uh, we, we all have this capacity to use the wealth that we have to bring incredible good 
to do good in the lives of others and to advance the work of the gospel and have an impact both now and eternity in something bigger than ourselves. That's what's on offer. But, but, if you're anything like me, you will know, you'll experience that gravitational pull when it comes to your money. The gravitational pull is to pull it back towards yourself. Is that right? So for example, if someone walked up to you this morning and handed you an envelope, and inside that envelope was 500 pounds cash, what would you do with it? What would you do with it? Let's just imagine for a moment that you didn't have an urgent bill to pay. Let's imagine for a moment that you didn't have uh, something, um, a necessity to buy. This is disposable cash at one level. What would you do with it? Well, lots of us would save it for a rainy day. Lots of us would spend it on that little thing that we've had our eye on for quite some time. And now, suddenly, delightfully, we're able to get it. But there is a third option. The third option is that we could give it away. We could give it away. But we find that difficult. We find that difficult. Uh, One of the reasons that we find it difficult to give it away, one of the reasons I find it difficult to give money away is because of the fear that I'm losing out. So we think we've got a choice in that scenario. You've got a choice either, either you give it away and it'll do good for other people, but I lose out all the benefits. Or I can keep it for myself and I'll enjoy the benefits. This passage that Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 9 tells us that you do not have to make that choice. You do not have to make that choice. Just glance down, just at verse 11, just for one moment, just the first couple of words of verse 11. Speaking, urging these Christians in Corinth to give their money away to this collection for the poor. Paul says, you, that is you, the givers, will be made rich in every way, or you will be enriched. Paul is saying that actually there is a wonderful blessing for those who give their money away. If you give your money away for the good of other people and to advance the gospel, Paul is saying that it's not just for the benefit of others, you will benefit too. You will benefit as well. Uh, And he's just teaching what the Lord Jesus himself taught in, in Acts 20. Uh, Paul, or, uh, yeah, Paul says these words, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I don't think the reality is we really believe that. I'm not sure we really believe that. Have I got competition here this morning, have I? <laughs> I'm not sure we really believe that. I think uh, we, we do really fear that we're going to be losing out if we give our money away. Well, Paul has an argument, and his argument's got three simple steps to it. Three simple steps. Number one, giving is a brilliant investment. Giving is a brilliant investment. Number two, giving brings a blessing to the giver. And then thirdly, giving uh, brings glory to God. Let me take you through each one of those steps. 
so that you too will see the value for you uh, in this regular practice uh, of giving. First, giving is a brilliant investment. Um, Now, as we come to uh, 1 Corinthians 9, um, I'm sure as the Corinthians who first got this letter, I'm sure they were wishing they'd kept their mouths shut when they read verses 1 and 2. Paul writes this. There was no need for me uh, to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Now, Paul, when he'd been with them, he said, look, I have this idea that I want to, I want to, there's some poor Christians I've heard of in Judea and in Jerusalem, and I want to go around some of the churches that I've been involved in planting, and I want to gather up this collection uh, and bring it back to, to alleviate their suffering. Uh, and the Corinthians had said, brilliant, that's a wonderful idea, you know, count us in. Okay, they said very enthusiastically. Uh, but Paul hadn't actually got around to the actual collecting bit yet. Instead, in the meantime, Paul had traveled around the whole region of northern Greece and revisited all these other churches. And he said, I'm doing this collection. And do you know the Corinthians? They're, they've started the whole ball rolling. They're giving loads, right? So you should give too. Uh, and it's, that's exactly what happened. All these other churches began to contribute to this uh, very generously, to this collection. And Paul now is a bit concerned. Paul's a bit concerned about the potential embarrassing situation that's about to unfold, maybe, that as he travels back the way he came and returns to Corinth with some representatives from these other churches on his way back to Jerusalem, Paul is a bit concerned that there'll be this embarrassing moment that as he returns with these other representatives, that it will be revealed that the Corinthians uh, mouths were bigger than their wallets okay there was a mismatch between their mouths and their money between their wallet and their words um, and so Paul says look I'm going to send a couple of friends I'm going to send a couple of friends ahead of you uh, ahead of us sorry to get you organized for your collection uh, and at this point Paul could have as an apostle of the Lord Jesus he could have just wagged his finger and commanded them to give and used his authority. He could have done that. In many ways he would have been right to do that. But that's not what he does. He wants to appeal to their hearts. He wants to help them. To, he wants to persuade them. So that they want to give generously. And his argument as I said. Has three steps to it. And the first step that he wants them to see is that giving is a brilliant investment. Giving is a a brilliant investment. Just glance down at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Paul uses this image uh, of a farmer sowing seed. Uh, Paul uses the image again uh, in verse 10. Now he who, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest uh, of your righteousness. When it comes to giving money away, I'm really under, really fi- feeling fighting up here. <laughs> uh, I'm in competition. Uh, <laughs> 
When it comes to giving our money away, I do feel we all have that deep-lying fear, that deep-lying fear that when I give money away, I'm losing out. I'm going to lose out. Others will benefit, and that's great for them, but, but I'm going to lose out. And so that leads to us being reluctant uh, to give our money. Um, instead, Paul wants us to see here that when we give money away, when we give money away, uh, we're not losing it. We're simply investing it. We're not losing it. We're simply investing it. It's not, never going to be wasted, but it will bring a wonderful harvest in the future. Think about the farmer. So in the ancient world, when a farmer went out to a plowed field and sowed seed, at one point, that money, or that money, that seed was gone, wasn't it? Couldn't see it. Had no access to it physically. Couldn't nibble on it and get any benefits from it. But the farmer never walked away from the business of sowing the seed and thought, well, that was a complete waste of time. Now I've lost all my seed. Not at all. Not at all. Quite the opposite. He is the very act of burying it, putting it out of reach and out of sight, will lead to a wonderful harvest in the future. And Paul is saying that actually that's the way that we should think about uh, giving money away. We're never losing it. It's never wasted. Uh, we're never going to lose out. Instead, we're investing it for a great harvest in the future. I think a wonderful uh, illustration of this principle uh, is back in uh, John chapter 6, where John uh, gives the, his account uh, of Jesus feeding the 5,000 as Jesus sees this huge crowd of people uh, come towards him uh, and he sees that they're very needy uh, and they've traveled out a great distance to come and see him and he knows that they're hungry uh, and so he turns to Philip and he says, Philip, how will we buy bread to feed these thousands of people? And John tells us in a kind of sneaky way that Jesus was just saying that to stretch his faith uh, and at that point Philip panics and says, well, there's, look, there's no way, there's no way we could provide for this amount of people. Eight months wages wouldn't be enough to buy enough bread to give everyone a single bite. Impossible. We, we cannot provide. And yet another disciple at that point, we don't know who, uh, brings a little boy to Jesus. Do you remember the story? He brings a little boy to Jesus who offered his lunch that day. Uh, five loaves, two fish little small loaves uh, and the other disciple says well we have this little tiny gift little meager offering we have this but sure how far will that go in a crowd this size and this is a story that has been recorded for us so that we never forget the generosity of that little boy so that we learn the lesson that what is given to the Lord even if it's a meager gift can be amazingly multiplied in his hands and produce a result, a harvest, way beyond anything we would ever expect. You see, giving to, to the good of others and the work of advancing the gospel, telling other people about the good news of Jesus, is worth it. It's worth it. No other investment will ever bring as big a return uh, as what we offer to God. And so three things then. We should, number one, we should give generously, give generously. Come back to the image of the, the farmer. 
in the field as he's sowing the seed. He will carry a bag over his shoulder and he'll lift out handfuls of seeds and throw it. That's how a farmer did it. What a farmer did not do in the ancient world is he didn't take out a tray and tweezers, you know, and put one individual seed or maybe a few seeds in a, in a perfect line. That's not how a farmer sowed seed. No, no, no. He, did the, he, he scattered his seed big fistfuls of it that he threw on the ground all around him as he walked up and down the ploughed field. That's the image for us when it comes to our giving. It should be generous. It should be generous. We should give as much as we can. Uh, and it's worth remembering just at this point that actually generosity uh, varies dependent on your means, doesn't it? It looks different for each one of us. Generosity. And so in Luke 21, there's again the story of the, the, the widow who Jesus sees throwing in just two small copper coins into the collection plate. And Jesus points her out, that's what generosity looks like because she gave all that she could afford. In fact, she gave more than she could afford. Yeah, the rich people who are all around her are putting in big bags of money, but that's a tiny, tiny percentage of what they've got. Generosity means giving. Uh, giving so that we feel the sacrifice of it. Giving so we feel the sacrifice of it. And God guarantees a return. Again, no other business investment will ever be able to guarantee a return like that. Um, there will be a harvest. Nothing will be wasted that we give to God. We should give generously. But secondly, we should give thoughtfully. We should give thoughtfully. Um, in verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided. That is the idea. Made up your mind to give uh, in your heart. The idea here is that, that giving is never sentimental or impulsive or careless. Yes, we, we scatter seed, we give generously, but that doesn't mean we're thoughtless about it. Uh, no, we're careful and we're measured uh, and so, look, there is a place, look, there is a place if you want to sponsor a tiger, you look, go ahead and do that. If you want to adopt a gorilla, look, you go ahead and you do that. But given God, in, in Scripture, the way God values people more than animals, that sort of giving should be down your list of priorities, and then as we think about giving for the good of people, what is the greatest need for people? Well, in the New Testament, which is very, very clear, the greatest need for men and women, boys and girls, is that they come to know the truth about the power and the love of God, that they know the forgiveness that is on offer to them in Jesus, uh, and they experience uh, new life and be prepared to meet him for all eternity and be with him for all eternity. That's the greatest need. And so our priority in our giving should be for those spiritual good. That spiritual good. We should give generously, give thoughtfully. Thirdly, we need to give willingly. Not, verse 7 again, uh, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. If you feel a sense of obligation when you give, Paul says you shouldn't give. You shouldn't give. 
if you feel a sense of reluctance or hesitation when you give because you're uh, unsure about the merits of a particular project or you're uneasy about how the money will be handled, then you shouldn't give. Um, If you are feeling pressured into giving, Paul says you shouldn't give because God wants and desires a cheerful giver Think of Michael's mentioning Christmas uh, a few minutes ago. Think of the, the parents who loves to give uh, his children or her children gifts at Christmas time. He delights in giving it. We should experience that same delight in giving because we know the money is going to go to help other people do good and the money is going to bring pleasure to our Father. That is the sort of giving that God values and delights in first step in Paul's argument is to say that giving is a brilliant investment. It'll never be lost. It'll never be wasted. So give generously, give thoughtfully, give willingly. But that takes us to Paul's second step in his arguments where Paul says that giving is a bless, brings blessing to the giver. Yeah, we look, I think we're all persuaded that if we give um, our money generously for the good of others, first, as verse 12 puts it, it will supply the needs of God's people. It will, it will be good. Yeah, we're, look, I'm fine. I'm persuaded that if I give money away, it will bring benefit to others. But we still, as I said, harbor that doubt that we personally will be losing out then, won't we? The money that was in my bank account that I could see and that I had access to and I could have the benefit off if I needed is now gone and now I'm going to lose out. But again, Paul says that, look, we are never losing out. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion uh, and through us or your generosity uh, will result in thanksgiving to God. Again, our giving will result in a harvest, a return, a benefit, not just for other people, but for you as well, for you as well as the giver. Uh, again, uh, I think we, most of us are familiar with the, the teaching of the Lord Jesus when he told us to not store up for ourselves treasure on earth, but store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. I think most of us could be persuaded, yeah, if I give my money away, there will be a reward in the age to come. Okay, that's great. But even then, that's still not a massive incentive to give now. But Paul's actually saying something even more than that. Yes, that is all true. There will be a return in the age to come. But Paul is saying, look, just look at verse 8. Just look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul seems to be saying that the benefits that come to the giver are not just in the age to come. There are benefits for the giver in the here and now. There are benefits for the giver uh, in the here and now. And so really Paul is saying when someone gives for the good of others in the advance of the gospel, everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner. Now, the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that really? Do I believe that really? Well, Paul tries to convince us. He says that there's two ways in which giving results in benefits in the here and now 
for uh, someone who is a generous giver first. There are spiritual blessings. There are spiritual blessings. I want you to imagine for a moment that a young Christian or a struggling Christian comes to you and asks for some advice. They say, look, I'm just not, I'm just, I'm, there's, for me, there's just this real lack of joy. I'm filled with uh, much doubt. I, I don't have a sense of peace or the presence of God. What, what should I do? What should I do? Now, what would your answer be? What would your answer be? What's the sort of mental checklist that you would have in your mind when someone comes to you and asks for, for advice? I think for most of us, we would, we would ask, are you reading the Bible and praying every day? Uh, are you repenting of your sin daily? Are you meeting with other Christians for encouragement? Well, Paul would add another one to the list. Paul would say that we should ask at that point another person who's struggling Ask ourselves, how's your giving going? How's your giving going? Again, just look at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Paul is saying if you want to grow spiritually, you want to mature as a Christian, you want to experience this harvest of righteousness in your own life, how's your giving going? How's your giving going? He appeals to the Old Testament for support for this idea that actually there are spiritual benefits for the giver. It's there in verse 9. Uh, he's, he's quoting from Psalm 112, verse 9. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. There are spiritual benefits for those who give generously. Benefits in the here and now. How does that work? How does that work? Well, again, I think Paul probably has the Sermon on the Mount in mind as he's writing this letter. Uh, But again, Jesus back in Matthew 6 uh, famously said these words, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven for Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. According to Jesus, money is like a magnet for your heart. Money is like a magnet. Where you invest it, where you place it, your heart is drawn after that. That's how money works. And so, if you invest all your money in your big house. You get mortgaged to the hilt. You've invest everything in it and in the DIY projects that you're going to do in it and the development you're going to do in it. After a period of time, your thoughts and energies and dreams and imagination will be filled with that house. That's how it works. You'll be drawn after that. Your affections, your priorities, your time will be drawn after that. However, if you take money and give generously to the the missionary work of of those you know, uh, of ministry work here in this church, or ministry to reach out from this church as a base, your heart will be drawn after that. 
you'll become increasingly interested in what God is doing through that work. Your, your priorities, energies, thoughts, dreams, imagination will change over time as you invest your money. And it draws you after that. That's how it works. Money is like a magnet for your heart. You will be increasingly set free from the grip of materialism. You will be increasingly drawn closer to God and what he's doing in the world. How you invest your money will shape your heart. How you invest your money will shape your heart. And it will bless you spiritually. But Paul doesn't even stop there. He wants to go on to say that there is material blessing for those who give generously. Uh, Just look down to verse 10 again. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now in the metaphor that Paul has introduced back in verse 6, what is the seed representing? The seed represents money. Clearly, the seed represents money. And here Paul seems to be saying, for those who give money, there will be an increase of seed for them. Now, does that make you nervous just even a little bit? Um, because we, we, we all have experienced or heard of churches and uh, Bible teachers who have abused this idea. There's many out there who have used this idea that if you give to God, he's duty-bound to give back to you more than you gave. That's what we call the prosperity gospel. And, and there's plenty. You start surfing on the internet for like three and a half minutes, and you will find a number of teachers who teach exactly that. Uh, that is not, I don't believe that's what Paul is saying in these verses. Um, but nevertheless, I don't want to blunt what he's saying in these verses either. I think Paul is simply again reiterating the teaching of the Lord Jesus. Um, in passages like Luke 12, uh, verse 22 and 31 on the screen here, uh, Jesus said, Do not worry uh, about your life or what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. God is no man's debtor. He is a good father and he will provide for his children. And so this is not a promise that all your luxuries that you dream of will be given to you. It is a promise that your needs will be provided for. Your needs will be provided for. And notice why God makes this promise. Uh, Again, it's back... Um, in uh, our passage so that we can be generous on every occasion. God is promising that your needs will be provided for so that, here's the reason, you can continue to be generous. Not so that you can spend more on yourself. That's how the logic of the passage works. Now, I was really, I've been really struck by that this week, I'll be honest. I find that, oh, that's, that's, oh, that's uncomfortable. How am I, how am, are you meant to view an increase to your income? How are you meant to view that? 
oh great, I can increase my standard of living. I can get that nicer car. I can maybe start to save for that bigger, nicer, newer, flashier house. My standard of living can rise. I think that's how we tend to just instinctively think, isn't it? This week I've been reading a little bit about uh, John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley, uh, the famous founder of Methodism, uh, in many ways the forefather of modern evangelicalism in all sorts of ways. Um, I've been reading some extracts from his diary. Uh, And in 1731, when he was just just graduated uh, from, I can't remember where it was, Oxford or Cambridge, he graduated from, uh, and he got a job, he had an income of 30 pounds. He had an income of 30 pounds, which was a significant amount back in 1731. Um, He worked it out that what he needed to live on was 28 pounds which left 2 pounds for giving away for giving away uh, so that's how it started uh, but then over the course of his life his income dramatically rose uh, he was getting gifts for preaching and gifts for travelling and gifts for all sorts of things money was coming in until later on in his life he, he had an annual income of over a thousand pounds But with the rise in income, he always continued to live on £28 a year. And everything else that came in, he viewed it as great. I just have more now to give away. I've personally been rebuked by John Wesley's attitude. And I think John Wesley is much closer to understanding uh, 2 Corinthians 9 that I have ever been. Giving uh, brings blessing to the giver. It brings spiritual blessing. Our hearts are drawn after God and what he's doing in the world rather than just consumed with ourselves and our own needs. And God will never leave you stuck. He will provide for your needs. Don't worry. I'm sure that's what these Corinthians were worried about. Oh, if we give generously, will we have enough to survive on? No, don't worry. God is generous and he will provide for you um, so that you can give more. So that you can give more. Giving is a brilliant investment. Giving brings blessing to the giver. And lastly, and very briefly, giving brings glory to God. Giving brings glory to God. Just glance down at verse 12. Verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks and joy because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Giving will, their giving will wonderfully benefit those who are poverty stricken in Judea, but it will have an even greater effect than that. It will result in others praising and thanking God. How does the logic work here? You see, we live in a world uh, where, which is counter to John Wesley, isn't it? The more I get, The more I keep for myself, the more luxuries I can buy, 
the more I can insulate myself, myself from, from life's insecurity uh, and discomfort. The truth then is, if that is our natural reaction, generous, radical, generous giving, well, that is evidence that someone has had a real encounter with the living God. When Christians then see that, they will praise and thank God that he has been gracious to that person and change their heart. When those outside the church see radical generosity, inevitably they're going to be intrigued and attracted to what is going on and will be more open to coming to learn about the generous God that this person has encountered. Generosity will inevitably bring glory to God, praise and thanks to him, because it is not natural. It is not natural. I think that's incredibly reassuring even for us. If we have a heart to give, again, that should be part of our reassurance. Something God is working in me too, that I even are even considering giving to this project, even considering giving uh, to help those in need in that way. Lastly, when you receive, I think we've all had this experience where someone, a work colleague or someone comes up to you and says, I'm doing this sponsored run. You know, here's the sheet of paper. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you see that sheet of paper? Well, what I do, this is what I do, this is my sinful heart. I look down and I go, what's the, what's the, what's the standard of giving here? Uh, oh, 40p a mile. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, you know, you try to gauge the standard and then that affects your giving. Isn't that how it works? You kind of work out the standard. What, what is kind of the average giving here? And then I'll give that. What's the standard of giving for the Christian? What's the standard? Just look at the very last verse of this chapter. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He gave his son for us to live, to suffer, to die, and to rise again. So if you are thinking, if I am thinking, oh, I could give to that, but it's just, you know, it's too risky. Would I survive? It's just too costly. It would make me too vulnerable to give. Well, remember the cross. Remember how much has been given for you and allow that to be the prompt for your generous giving and remember that giving what you give with your money is a brilliant investment that guarantees a return that no other business venture can guarantee give generously because it will be a blessing to you and give generously because it will bring glory to God let me pray just as the band joins me at the front Father, we want to 